This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In our second segment today, we have a guest we've been meaning to bring you for some time, former Washington Post reporter Jefferson Morley. We enjoy exploring political mysteries on this program on a regular basis, and uh, one that certainly has captivated this correspondent's interest has been the mysterious circumstances surrounding the death of our 35th president, John F. Kennedy. Every so often, authors come along and try to tell us that the mysteries have all been solved. In fact, we interviewed one such author, Vincent Bugliosi, at great length on this program on that very topic. And while we respect Mr. Bugliosi immensely, we can't agree with him on that one. The reason is there's a lot of compelling, strange subplots uh, to the events swirling around uh, that fateful day in history, and we're going to talk about uh, one of those with Jeff Morley in segment two. If uh, the official story for the Warren Commission and others, is that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was just slip, a guy that just slipped through the cracks and was not being monitored in the months before the assassination. Uh, and, and that is the standard wisdom. If that was proved to be false, that would be interesting, wouldn't you say? Well, that story definitely was false, and that's only the beginning. And, and uh, we'll talk about that at length in our second segment. And we enjoyed chatting so much with Willie Weir, bicyclist extraordinaire, that we've invited Willie back to talk to us again about uh, what he does so well, which is ride his bicycle in strange and exotic places and have a great time while doing it. But let us begin this program as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 18th of March. After reviewing the events of this day, I would say one thing. If you're planning an invasion, don't do it on March 18th. Because, for starters, on March 18th in 1915, during World War I, Allied forces tried to break through the Dardanelles Narrows in Turkey and open a supply route to Russia. The attack failed miserably, due in part to an unsuspected minefield that sank or disabled five warships. This led to the sacking of the mastermind of this, uh, this project, First Lord of the Admiralty, Winston Churchill. He was able to make a political comeback, however. On this date in 1924 in the U.S., the thief of Baghdad opened to crowds so thick that police had to form a wedge to escort stars Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford into the theater. Which reminds me, a copy that's been sitting on my shelf for years now. It's about time I got sat down and watched it all the way through. And a bit of trivia. A couple years before that, Doug Fairbanks, Mary Pickford, and Charles Chaplin, along with film director D.W. Griffith, got together to, f- to form... United Artists, which is still with us. It did lead to one of the great Hollywood quotes. Someone, I can't remember who, commenting about the, about the artists uh, seizing the reins of control over the production facilities, said, Well, the inmates have taken over the asylum. On this date in 1938, Mexican President Lázaro Cárdenas expropriated the holdings of foreign petroleum companies and combined them into a nationalized company, Pemex. I don't know whether it's still true, but for a long time, Pemex held the distinction of being the world's only oil company that consistently lost money. And uh, those, uh, those invasions we talked about, well, in 
March 18, 1944, Subhas Chandra Bose arrived in eastern India at the head of a 4,000-strong Indian National Army, which had, been tra- which had been trained and supported by the Japanese. The army had hoped to drive the British from India. Instead, they were driven back to Japanese-held Burma. And six years later, in 1950, in a surprise raid on the Communist People's Republic of China, military forces of the nationalist Chinese government in Taiwan invaded the mainland and captured the town of Sungmen. The invasion failed after several weeks. And backing up in time a bit, it was on March 18, 1942, here in the U.S., that the War Relocation Authority was created. Their mission was to, quote, take all people of Japanese descent into custody, surround them with troops, prevent them from buying land, and return them to their former homes at the close of the war. It might be worth noting that although the U.S. was at war with Japan, we were also at war with Germany and Italy. Italian-Americans and German-Americans were not put in concentration camps. And I want to add as an aside that one of the great, uh, great moments in radio I heard in the past couple decades was on the Jim Eason program back on KGO in 1990 when he would just went off on the Census Bureau because of the fact that uh, that roundup of Japanese Americans took place because the census authorities told people where they could be found. Jim Eason suggested that, uh, that uh, although, you know, the people at the census assured us that uh, there would never be any misuse of the data that was given to them, uh, you know, tell that to the Japanese Americans. So every time there's a census, I tend to be minimally cooperative. And although I I fall short of recommending such civil disobedience to you, dear listener, I do think you ought to, you know, give that one some thought. Although the federal authorities are tasked with, uh, you know, uh, counting us all up, coming up with an enumeration of the citizenry, uh, I uh, I just don't know about, you know, volunteering a lot of data. Of course, nowadays, people are going on to Facebook and putting 10 times more detail than the Census Bureau even asks for, so I don't know. If they want to find out what we're up to, dear fellow citizens, we're, we're making it uh, pretty doggone easy for them. And I know some of you would say, well, you know, what are you worried about that for if you're not doing anything wrong? Again, talk to some Japanese Americans who got to spend World War II in a concentration camp, Okay. All right, our quote of the day comes from the Jeffrey Tubin article in The New Yorker, titled After Stevens, writing about John Paul Stevens. And Mr. Tubin had a wonderful interview on Terry Gross's Fresh Air earlier this week, which I highly recommend, along with The New Yorker article. Jeffrey Tubin came to town a week before last. I'm sorry to say we were not able to score an interview with him. So we'll try to make it up to Mr. Tubin by quoting from the article in which he quoted local boy who made good, Anthony Kennedy, who went from uh, McGeorge Law School to the Supreme Court of the United States. Tubman outlines how uh, Alito, Scalia, Thomas, and Roberts were determined some time ago to expand the case being argued before them, Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission. They had gotten into their little pea brains that corporations needed the same rights as people when it came to free speech. Stevens saw where the wind was blowing on that and tried to alert the troops, in this case the troop being Anthony Kennedy, as to what these four half-wits were up to. And unfortunately, Tony Kennedy sided with those four. 
We're planning to discuss this case at greater length in, in the future on this program. But our quote of the day comes from Anthony Kennedy, who joined the court's majority opinion and stated, quote, Independent expenditures, including those made by corporations, do not give rise to corruption or the appearance of corruption. <laughs> yeah, as I say, we're going to return to the, uh, the premise now enshrined in a Supreme Court decision that corporations have rights to free speech comparable to those of individuals, but uh, not today. And if you're keeping track, ladies and gentlemen, when the conservatives of this country refer to activist judges whom they abhor, what they mean are activist liberal judges. Judicial activism and lack of restraint on the part of conservatives is completely okay. And our quip of the day, which not coincidentally comes from Justice John Paul Stevens, referring to his dissent in the Citizens United case, which was the longest of his career, Stevens said sarcastically in one of his asides, Under the majority's view, I suppose it may be a First Amendment problem that corporations are not permitted to vote given that voting is, among other things, a form of free speech. Justice Stevens on that one was one step ahead of Andy Borowitz and The Onion. All right, our joke of the day, which comes a, a day after St. Patty's Day, is as follows. A man of Irish descent decides to go back to Ireland for his honeymoon. As he and his wife are walking down the streets of Dublin... They get to chatting with some of the people about how they're returning home to their roots, etc. And a man says, well, we're having an Irish wake down the street. You ought to come, come experience it. So they go in, and sure enough, there's a deceased citizen laying there on the table, as I gather is the custom. The Irishman looks at the man and says, I twas the drink that got him. American says, well, I, I don't mean to pry or anything, but geez, did he ever think about going to AA? To which the Irishman replied, Oh, he wasn't that bad. Our stat of the day comes from the National Sleep Foundation, which notes that 25% of Americans who are married or living with someone say they are so sleep-deprived they are often too tired to have sex. Ladies and gentlemen, don't let this happen to you. All right, I guess it's time to do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for censorship. After police, acting on an anonymous complaint, ordered a family in Rahway, New Jersey, to cover up a naked snow woman they had sculpted in their front yard. Here's the part I love. The family complied by clothing the snow woman in a green bikini top and blue sarong. And we say good for them. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for... Walmart, last week when it was accused of racism for pricing black Barbie dolls cheaper than white Barbie dolls. 
Apparently, a photo circulating on the internet showed a rack of dark-skinned Barbies at one Walmart with $3 price tags, besides a rack of blonde, light-skinned Barbies, priced at $5.93. For its part, Walmart said the difference in prices were the result of inventory management. But activists, activists who we'd add probably need more hobbies, accused the chain of insensitivity for, quote, devaluing the black doll, unquote. And we're not entirely comfortable taking Walmart's side in anything, but we kind of suspect this one did result from inventory management. And lastly, it was apparently an ugly week for historical perspectives. After Elton John, in what was described as a rambling interview, stated, I think Jesus was a compassionate, super-intelligent gay man who understood human problems. Well, we, we think we can go along with the compassionate part, but we're pretty much at a dead loss to figure where Elton John came up with super-intelligent gay man. All right, from the Only in America file, we have the following. A New York woman is suing a wig store for damages, claiming her foot was injured by a falling mannequin head. Jermaine McDonald, age 40, says the head inflicted permanent nerve damage in her foot. McDonald's husband, Dean, filed a separate suit, claiming the injury has ruined their sex life, saying Jermaine can no longer curl her toes. No, we, we have no further information. And how about this item from the oddball file? Apparently, no less than 14 GOP congressmen, led by Representative Patrick McHenry from North Carolina, have introduced legislation to have the image of Ronald Reagan's face be enshrined in the $50 bill, displacing that of Ulysses S. Grant. All right, in some follow-up uh, with our talk with Kel Munger of the Sacramento News and Review a few weeks back about uh, what's going on in Africa and regarding uh, some moves afoot to criminalize homosexuality. In that case, it was Uganda. We referred to Desmond Tutu's uh, essay, which was printed in the Sacramento Bee last weekend, a reprint from an editorial in the Washington Post, said the uh, Nobel Peace Prize winner, Uganda's parliament is debating legislation that would make homosexuality punishable by life imprisonment, and more discriminatory legislation has been debated in Rwanda and Burundi. These are terrible backward steps for human rights in Africa. Our lesbian and gay brothers and sisters across Africa are living in fear. Just this month, mobs in Mawapa Township, Kenya, attacked men they suspected of being gay. Kenyan religious leaders, I'm ashamed to say, threatened an, an HIV clinic there for, for providing counseling services to all members of that community because the clerics wanted gay men excluded. He concluded by saying, politicians who profit from exploiting this hate, from fanning it, must not be tempted by this easy way to profit from fear and misunderstanding. And my fellow clerics of all faiths must stand up for the principles of universal dignity and fellowship. Exclusion is never the way forward for our shared paths to freedom and justice. We also have to refer you to the excellent piece, follow-up piece, by Matt Taibbi in Rolling Stone, titled Wall Street's Bailout Hustle. Subtitle says, Goldman Sachs and other big banks aren't just pocketing the trillions we gave them to rescue the economy. 
They're recreating the conditions for another crash. We don't have time for that article today, but we will talk about it. And another guy that's not shy about speaking out is our good pal, Will Durst. Hey guys, Will Durst here to say that this healthcare thing is people crazier than Johnny Depp in a Max Fleischer cartoon on acid. I don't know if you heard, but Rush Limbaugh threatened to leave the United States should healthcare reform pass. You know, for a lot of people, that's a big win-win. If the prospect of his leaving the country doesn't motivate progressives, I don't know what will. The ironic thing is he's threatening to move to Costa Rica, where they have universal health care. <laughs> you can't make stuff up like this. The president himself is running around the country like an over-caffeinated terrier engaged in a last-ditch effort to sell the bill to what you might call some reluctant Democrats. Yeah, reluctant Democrats. A phrase as redundant as saying, irritating flash flood. Hell, at this point, I imagine Obama would be happy to pass anything. Healthcare, jobs bill, kidney stone, Toyota Prius. The big worry is he's not just engaged in his own kamikaze flight. He's sending his troops on a suicide mission that would make Gallipoli look like a weekend pass at a Singapore whorehouse. Senator Orrin Hatch says if Democrats try to jam the health care bill through Congress, it will destroy partisanship. Oh no, not that. Can't you see what's happening? They're killing the dodo. Then Senator Mitch McConnell warned Democrats are facing electoral Armageddon in the fall. Which really isn't fair. It's like telling six-year-old girls about the hairy spiders that live under their bed before saying, sleep tight. The good news is, sooner or later, the bill will either become law or not become law, and everybody can settle back down to their normal routine of obstructing, stalling, and procrastinating. So I guess what I'm saying here is, welcome to business as usual. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Always a pleasure to hear from Mr. Durst. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned for a most interesting discussion with former Washington Post reporter Jefferson Morris.